0: Check it out, Startup Nation. I know many of you are trying to improve your marketing performance, right? You have your business or your e-commerce store, and you're trying to increase that brand awareness. No worries. I got you. You should listen to the brand new Keep Optimizing podcast. That's optimizing with an S and not a Z. It's a marketing podcast that will provide you with not only the latest tips and advice in the game, but also you will hear from experts in their field when it comes to email marketing, SEO, and more. This is a must-listen-to podcast for my e-commerce entrepreneurs. It's hosted by Chloe Thomas, who is a 15-year marketing expert, best-selling author, and award-winning podcast host. It's already a top-20 marketing podcast in seven countries, so clearly you're going to get amazing value every episode. So as you can see, automation, you're in good hands with my girl, C.T., So listen and subscribe to the Keep Optimizing podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you like to get your favorite podcast. You can also get more information at keepoptimizing.com. The link is there in the show notes. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to see some value today. We got a big time guest in the building today. We have Catherine Layola of Concentric Private Wealth. What's going on,
1: KL? Nothing much. How are you?
0: I cannot complain. Are you ready to pour some knowledge into Startup Nation today? Absolutely. All righty. As always, Startup Nation, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. So, Catherine, if you would, please, ma'am, let's start this thing off right. Tell us about your story on your path to entrepreneurship.
1: Well, I think I actually have to start it going back to when I was a kid. And the funny thing is I actually had zero desire to be an entrepreneur when I was a child, even into my 20s, truly zero desire. Sure. But the thing that was really unique about me as a kid is that I knew that if I wanted something, I could go out and get it. That was something that my parents really fostered in myself as well as my four siblings. Mm -hmm. And so I truly think that partly because of the mindset that I was brought up in but also because I was the oldest of five kids and we didn't actually have a lot of financial resources in my family. So if we wanted something, it wasn't just going to happen because mom and dad could provide for it. We had to figure out how we were going to either get what we wanted to get from a financial means or create what we wanted. So that really has been the foundation of I would say my story and how I am, where I am today. Gotcha. But Thank the you. bigger piece is really like the transition, I guess, into actually becoming an entrepreneur For was sure. really because at the end of the day, I felt that I was in a space where there were many people in senior positions not listening to the needs of someone like myself had. And I saw that there was a huge amount of opportunity to be able to create a space where people like myself could grow but also to better serve the clients that were so incredibly important to me.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to ask you a quick follow-up about your parents because you were talking about how they really kind of – poured into you that that sense of if you want something, you got to figure out how to get it yourself. Any of your parents, entrepreneurs or had business ventures of their own?
1: You know, the funny thing is neither one of them are. Okay, if they had been born in different times, especially my dad, I think he very much could have been an entrepreneur or at least part of something that was entrepreneurial. But he was born in a generation as well as just kind of within a community that very much valued stability and you go to work, you get a job, you provide. I think actually a lot of men are especially brought up with that type of mindset, which can be really limiting in terms of how people experience the world and experience themselves. But it was so ingrained as far as you go and work for the government, whether it's the federal government or local government, you do your best work, you come home in time for dinner, very 1950s culture in a lot of ways, right. but he had this fire in him that I don't think he necessarily knew how to bring out in himself in terms of from a business perspective. He's definitely been part of adventures outside of business, right. but he shared that fire with us and that fire grew over time for every single one of us in different ways.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that, Catherine. I appreciate that. So I know you're there in the DC area and I know y'all yes. hear about the, the the political climate there, but I actually want to hear about the entrepreneurial climate there because I hear it's kind of growing. Can, can, you, can you share a little bit about that uh, if you would, Catherine?
1: Sure. The political climate, of course, is something that people always think about in DC. Sure. You know, our local news is national news. Right. But What's really interesting about the DC area is it really is a hub for growth and for the entrepreneurial spirit. There's a lot of different startups in this space, especially those that have a technology background to them. One of actually my very good friends, Tian Wang, has created a community called Connectpreneur. Highly encourage all of the people listening to really be able to check that out if they're in the tech space or if they're looking for funding for their businesses. Because it's a place where people from, yes, Maryland, Virginia have come together, but it's also where people who reside in other states have come to really be part of this community where people are thinking outside of the box Mm -hmm. and helping each other get funding, but also to make sure that things like policy at the government level or how communities are looking at businesses are really being thought about so that we can all rise together. But right. it's not just tech. There's a lot of people that are outside of tech in the D.C. world that are really wanting to be able to create opportunities for needs that have been existing for quite some time. And while we see those pushes, of course, we've seen that in Silicon Valley, but while we've seen pushes in market groups like Boston, we're also very much now seeing, seeing that in the D.C. community, which is really exciting.
0: Awesome stuff. And me and the family actually took a family vacation there uh, to DC. We kind of felt some of that energy that you're talking about uh, the hustle and bustle of DC. So I definitely kind of get an idea of what you're talking about. So I appreciate you sharing that, Catherine. Yeah.
1: And we're in a unique spot too because I live in Northern Virginia. I grew up in Maryland, but DC is also right there in the middle. And so you have two states you have the District of Columbia, of course. They and many people want them to be a state, uh, but you have three different governing bodies, three different types of taxes, all different things that need to be taken into account. Mm -hmm. And so, what's really unique is that by having those three different spaces all so closely together, an entrepreneur has essentially a quick start into understanding how to navigate different types of policies government entities, different types of leadership styles, which is so key, especially when any entrepreneur is wanting to scale.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. So I, 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 I want to ask you this because I know uh, you, you attended, you know, Boston College and things of that nature. So yes, hear, go I Eagles. Wanna, oh, absolutely. Go Eagles for sure. Uh, so I wanted to ask you this. What did you learn from the worst boss, mentor, or professor you've ever had?
1: Great question. You know, this might sound a little different than probably how many of the people you've interviewed have responded, but one of my most influential leaders or professors was actually a Jesuit. Boston College is run by the Jesuits, and I went into BC not necessarily being especially religious. I had gone to Catholic school my whole life, but that was not actually the reason that I was going to Boston College. That was more of something I was just drawn to the school and all of the various things that were part of their offering. Mm-hmm. It was really my junior and senior year where I began taking some courses that were outside of the required curriculum. And two of the Jesuit professors in particular really helped me begin to kindle that fire inside of me because they helped me connect to things that were outside of the box, you know, one plus one equals two. Like that's pretty standard, obviously in math courses and science courses, it's way more complicated than that. Right. But it was more about how the world is working, how I was feeling, listening to who I was inside. So it was really two Jesuits. And then truly the courses that I took in psychology were the ones that really just made me realize how much I connected with the human spirit. And how much resonated with me in terms of the importance of mental well-being, but also the opportunities in terms of if we can think of business and how to serve people outside of just, well, this is how a person operates. Because we're also unique in how we're structured and wired.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I I appreciate that answer because it really goes uh, with the mindset of the entrepreneur in the sense that, you know, you're willing to be open-minded to hear, you know, from other other different perspectives, other, other ways of thought. So I appreciate you sharing that, Catherine, for sure. Of course. Sure. So, you know, like I said, we mentioned you went to Boston College, majoring in communications. So how did you go from majoring in communications to financial planning? Tell us that story.
1: Well, the funny thing is I actually started at Boston College in the Carroll School of Management, which is a pretty okay. highly regarded business school and Mm -hmm. one that when people get accepted into the business school, it's more difficult to, it's one of the more challenging business schools to get in, that people don't typically leave the business school, especially on their own accord. And for me, after about a year and a half of being in the business school, it just didn't feel right. It was one where I felt extremely Compartmentalized. It was like my life was this is what you're going to do, and this is how it's going to be. The curriculum didn't offer a lot of ability to take things that were outside of the required curriculum, such as psychology or looking at uh, multicultural studies or things like that. And those were the things that always got me thinking more. So I actually decided to leave the School of Business and actually go into the School of Arts and Sciences. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. But I did believe that there was a power with the impact of communication. So I had this business base and I had this communication base as well as having some focus in psychology while I was in school. When I graduated, I was planning on going into consulting or sales and I did a ton of interviewing, had job offers, but nothing just felt right in my gut. And I went on an interview to be a financial advisor, not out of my choice. It was a person who had been in alum that was like, you should just go. This is totally you. I had to pay my way and finance my way through college. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of financial street smarts, not just because of my experience in college with money, but also because of how my parents raised me and working at a very young age, I started doing things like modeling and acting as a little kid and refereeing in middle school. So I had been around money for a long time. And that was really, what helped me have a good foundation to becoming a financial advisor and building the firm to what it looks like today because I had that base of business. I had that base of communication and psychology, and I had the street smarts. Of course, I'm still learning today. I definitely don't have everything down to a T, but who does? So it's really about progress and not perfection.
0: I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, one of the reasons, Catherine, I wanted to have you on the show because let's just be honest here. You know, when people start talking about money, a lot of people feel weird about that, especially when you talk about financial planning, insurance, retirement, things of that nature. So when you have a client or when you're speaking uh, at an engagement or something like that, and you kind of see people squirm about money and stuff like that, how do you have that conversation? How do you put people at ease when you're talking about money?
1: Well, money is one of those things that I think part of the reason that it's so uncomfortable to talk about is because we actually don't talk about it when we okay. are kids, our parents don't talk about it. And some families do, but culturally as Americans, that and sex are two things that we really just don't talk about. Right, And so people can take a lot of different actions with how they experience money as well as sex, uh, Because there is a lot of things that are just kind of behind closed doors so that we don't really get into the nitty gritty of everything. So that's one key thing is I think it's really important as adults, and especially as parents if you have young children, that money is part of a regular conversation. And part of that conversation is not actually about just using words. One of the most powerful ways that children learn is through observation. So saying one thing and doing something completely different is not going to yield likely the results of raising a money smart kid as much as showing and engaging and integrating what those best practices are, but also creating an openness for the child to be able to say, oh, wait, you know, I kind of like doing it this way. There's no one right way of doing things. So that's one piece. The other piece is for me. There's such a focus on being retirement ready in our country, mm. but the reality is that the majority of Americans will not be retirement ready. They might be forced into retirement, but they're not necessarily financially independent. Right. And the reality too is that the level of happiness in our country is actually declining, especially in groups around the transition into retirement and even people in their early 30s. So why is that? And the thing that I think is important that we all do, and we can do this at any age, is to take some big steps back and to really ask ourselves, what is important to me? And really focus in on that. Because Uh when we focus on just the money piece, we're essentially pursuing something that is not actually grounded in anything that is important. Most of us are living lives that are. Defined for us at a very young age by whether it be our community, our family, our church, our religious organization, whatever, we're seeing these images of this is what financial success is or this is what freedom is or this is what retirement looks like or this is what having a family and 2.5 kids looks like. Right. It's not giving us a space to say, what is important to me? and when we can focus on what is important to me that doesn't mean that all of a sudden our decisions become so much more clear but it does help us funnel down to what actually we need to be focusing in focusing on and that very much can then align our planning and our investment strategies so everyone in startup nation to me the biggest takeaway of anything i possibly could share today is to really go home, find some space, not just today, not just this weekend, but to create an ongoing space for you where you can continue to come back to the, what is important to me? What's important to me today? Not just 30 years down the road, but what's important to me today?
0: Got you. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that, Catherine. And I'm glad you talked about, you know, defining that success, defining that financial success, because I wanted to ask you, that really leads into my next question, because I wanted to ask you about your uh, your contribution that you've been making to uh, CNBC for their Ready, Set, Grow
1: yes. uh, initiative.
0: And one of the things that you talked about was uh, defining what that success is, defining what that Uh, financial success looks like. And Startup Nation, if you look in the show notes, we have a link to those videos in the show notes for easy access. Amazing content, Startup Nation, if I may say so myself. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before I, you know, kind of dive into uh, some of the content that you made there, share with us, how did you get connected with CNBC? Did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? Kind of share that story if you would.
1: So There, this is just one of those things that I think comes down to a few things. One is putting your work out there and not waiting for opportunity to come knocking on the door. So for me, approximately 11 months, 10 to 11 months before CNBC reached out to me, I had started creating a video that I was sharing on social media platforms. LinkedIn was the main focus And it was just under the hashtag financial fitness Friday. So I was putting one up every week. I still put one up every week. And they were somewhere between a minute and a half to three minutes long. Gotcha. The purpose of those was to help transform the way people were thinking and acting about money while being inclusive of things around mindset and health. And for me, it was really about just creating positive impact, it wasn't about client acquisition. It was really tied to that larger vision that I had in terms of helping people. And over the 10, 11 months, that was not something that yielded any clients. But for me, it was where I very much felt connected to the work. And I also was becoming more focused and centered in what my voice was and who I was speaking to. At that time, A person who I went to school with, who I hadn't been in touch with in years, had been actually watching the videos, didn't even know it. And she hadn't liked it or commented, but it was something that she had seen that these resonated and she happened to work at CBC and she shared the videos with one of the talent producers and they started watching the videos. And then all of a sudden, I get this email that, hey, we are so-and-so from CNBC. We want to meet with you because of this. And all of a sudden, this opportunity came. But it's not because CNBC Googled Catherine Lyola. It
0: right. was
1: because I was putting work out in the universe that was very much aligned with my vision and with positive impact and was not just trying to check a box or Create definitions of success. It was about really the impact, and that resonated. And that's ultimately what helped me be able to give to the audience that CNBC uh, has as well. Uh, I'm so
0: thank you for sharing it. I'm so glad you said that because Startup Nation. The reason I wanted to ask that question because she, uh, Catherine, highlights something extremely important. Look, we're, you know, whether you're a content creator starting a business, you know, pursuing an acting career, or whatever it may be. Sometimes you know uh you you have to put good content, good things into the universe in order to get what you're asking the universe to give you in return and, and so Catherine, I really appreciate that because you know you 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 talked about you know uh following that passion and talking about uh what you're passionate about stuff like that put that in the universe and and the universe rewarded you for that, so I really appreciate you sharing that for sure
1: thank you I'm a big believer in that and That truly has been, I would say, honestly, the theme of my 30s, especially the second half of my 30s. Mm -hmm. My 20s were a period where I was going after success as defined by the world around me. And I did have a lot of success. So it's not to say that if you go after that, that you're not going to get it. Right. And, you know, I hit so many types of achievements and those were all well and good. And the recognition is fun for the moment, gotcha. but it's not fulfilling. It's not lasting. And it was really when in my early thirties, I actually started doing, this is going to sound probably crazy, but for me, one of the people that really helped me come out of my shell, if you will, to know that I wanted to be an entrepreneur Was a coach that I had. I got into triathlon in my early 30s, and a coach that I worked with helped me see how much I could do, how fast I could go if I just focused on me. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't look at what your competition is doing or anything like that, but it was more about focus on you, focus on your strengths. Let's not focus on your weaknesses. Let's focus on your strengths and let's really build on those. And that was for me what was really helpful in terms of opening my mindset up to what's really allowed me to be a successful entrepreneur. And that actually even goes back to high school when I had another coach. For me, maybe it's just the the sports, the athletic component that helps me kind of see myself more. But it was also in high school when. There was a coach who saw how I could leverage my strengths more. And that was actually a big reason that I chose to go to Boston College. (laughs) She helped me see Catherine. She helped me see what I could do. if, Again, I just focused on what made me special, what made me unique, and not focusing in on the things and comparing those who are better than me, uh, but rather focusing on the things that I kick butt in.
0: I hear that. I hear that. And and Startup Nation kicking speaking of kicking but, you know, and some of the accolades that Catherine uh speaks about, Catherine was uh the uh Washington Business Journal's 40 Under 40, Investment News, 40 Under 40, and a a ton of other accolades uh, as well. I just wanted to put that out there to kind of be your hype man for a little bit, Catherine, if I may. a
1: shout out. I appreciate the love.
0: No worries. No worries. So uh, I want to ask you this because in in, in one of those those CNBC videos, I want to ask you, because look, let's be honest. In this day and age, when we talk about student loans, they're kind of being vilified a little bit, right? They are. But but you kind of offer a different perspective on student loans. Could you share that with Startup Nation, if you would?
1: Yes. This is something that is really important to me. Mm -hmm. In the world that we live in right now, especially in the political climate, there's a lot of communication around how bad student loans are. Now, I'll be the first one to say that I'm not advocating for any one person to have a massive amount of student loan debt. And I will also share in my own experience as a parent that I hope and prefer that my kids do not have as high of a level of debt as I had when I graduated from school. Gotcha. With that said, my kids are going to have skin in the game when they're going to school. Now, what our world looks like when my kids are of age to go to college might be where there is access to free community college or state schools. And that would be awesome. But school loans, the reality is that the majority of people going to school have a level of school loans. And when you're telling someone who is 18 to 22 years old or after age 22, that this is a bad thing that is not supportive of a growth mindset. For me, going to college was not an option outside of a few state schools that I had a large scholarship to, was not an option without taking on debt and working. Even with the state school opportunities that I had in terms of scholarships, I still was having either a level of working or student debt as part of that package. So when we tell people that something is bad, it's giving people a negative mindset to begin with, like I've got to get rid of this, and that's their only focus. Right. As opposed to what are the benefits of this? In many ways, it's not purely an equalizer because of course there is some discrimination that happens with school loans. There is a lot of things that can hurt one person more than another, but there's also some really positive things. It can very much be supportive of creating good credit. It is a way to Make sure that people are understanding how expensive school is and going to class and making the most of it. Whereas sometimes, not everyone, but sometimes we'll go to school when their parents or others are paying for it and they're not necessarily taking the classes as seriously. But the cost of the school is incredible. And so really making the most of that college experience for me was something that was important. So I did go to class but I also participated in the activities that the school offered. I traveled internationally with the school and participated in various organizations that would allow me to be part of that growth experience. So the school loan element for me gave me the opportunity to be at the table. And that opportunity to be at the table, we cannot talk about with a negative mindset or using communication that is not saying positive things because the reality is again most individuals going to college do need to use school loans and when i hear people talking negatively about them sometimes i think that they're forgetting the privilege the platform that they're speaking of and the reality of what the world world situation is at least in the states is in regards to funding academic growth ahead again i believe in making sure that we are not having individuals take on a massive level of debt. I also very much believe in giving more access to free higher ed education. But for where we are right now, we got to also make sure that we're not giving negative messaging to the majority of students actually going to school because that's preventing some people from going. It's preventing some people from actually staying. And it's also creating decisions once they are out of school in terms of getting rid of the school loans, as opposed to building up things that are important, such as cash reserves and other means of liquidity to prepare for other life events that are surely going to happen, whether they're positive or negative.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. So I'm a
1: little passionate on this subject. <laughs>
0: no, no, absolutely. And, and I could tell, that's why I wanted to ask you that. So I appreciate you sharing that value. And I hope you really got that uh, startup nation to kind of think, uh, With an alternative type of mindset, with a a growth mindset, as Catherine would put it, uh, when you think about student loans, because we have a a lot of people who listen to the show who are uh, thinking about going to college, thinking about whether to stay in college, because uh, that 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 negative kind of spin on student loans is definitely out there, especially given our our, kind of current political cycle, especially is very much heightened. So I I appreciate you sharing uh, an alternative uh, thought. Uh, when it comes to student loans, so.
1: No problem. And I think it's also important for any individual going to school to understand what is the purpose of that education. Big picture, for me, I think there's always a level of learning that can come from any education. So it may not necessarily be that you're going for a specific degree. It might be that it's how you're collaborating with Your peers while you're in the university space. It might be the contacts that you're making. It might be an opening up how you are thinking about whether it be your professional career ahead, or it might be thinking about an opening conversation around how you engage with people who are not like yourself, which is also really important. But I would also say that sometimes people will just go back to get their master's, let's say, or a different type of degree because they might be a little lost and they think okay well I'll just go get another degree and that will make everything all better and it might for some people but it depends on what your individual situation looks like so if you're taking on $100,000 of debt and you don't really know what you're doing with that degree it might in some situations might make more sense for you to try out that career a little bit to see if that's the direction that you actually want to go in or to speak with some people who have that degree at least to see what do they do with it. And for you to just have a little bit more of a compass when you're starting the program versus just pulling on debt. Cause there's also a lot of people who are paying off school loans for something that has nothing to do with what actually was going to help serve them.
0: Gotcha. You. Gotcha. You. Thank you for sharing that. So uh, Catherine, as you know, it's it's, October. So it's financial planning month you yes. know, and, and, and startup nation uh, financial planning month is kind of where you kind of uh, take a, a stock of, you know, your financial situation, insurance, retirement, things of that nature, and kind of in with a plan for the next year with Catherine, what is, what's some of that advice? What are some of those things that we should be kind of taking stock in as we go into the new year, as far as financial planning and things of that nature?
1: There's so many different things that I could focus on here, but sure. a few key things, especially as we come close to the end of 2019, is focusing on the foundation. If we don't have a strong foundation, we can't really go that much farther. You know, in a home, if there were cracks in a foundation, that would receive immediate attention before making aesthetic changes to the home. Because the home could be compromised. Same thing happens when we're looking at our own individual lives. So, a few key things to think about when we're looking at 2019 coming to a close and as we're about to start another whole decade is looking at what's important to me. So, really focusing in on your values, what are your intrinsic drivers? Those will help align your planning and your decisions forward. Two, What are you spending your money on? And is your spending aligned with what's important to you? Or is it spending that's keeping up with whether it be your neighbors, your family, your colleagues, whatever? And most people we find have some misalignment with their spending. So that's a really key area to focus in on. And it can be overwhelming just because there's so many expenses, especially since so many things are automated. So to consider focusing in on two to three categories at a time and to make those shifts so that you're not feeling like you have to do everything at once. And you know what your expending is? Focusing in on your cash reserves and making sure that you don't just have reserves for the rainy day or emergencies, but also depending on what each person's trajectory is, when we're looking at startup nation especially with entrepreneurs that there might be liquidity needs that are above and beyond what someone who's working in a 9 to 5 job has mm-hmm. so keeping that in mind and then lastly really focusing in on the insurances that are there to protect that person so of course looking at health insurance but also looking at what happens in the event that their income goes away because of a medical disability or what happens of a premature death for the people who are dependent on them. If they're a little bit older, maybe looking on what happens if there's a long-term care need. There's of course so many other things to focus in on once that foundation is in place, but the foundation is really where it's all about starting with what's important to an individual.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. So, Catherine, I came across an article in Market Watch, and I want to ask this last question before we go to break. I came across an article uh, in Market Watch talking about, you know, uh, millennials and planning for retirement. And a lot of millennials are kind of like just over it when it comes to retirement. They cite things like climate change, wars, overworking, and some just feel like, look, there's no way I'm going to retire one day. So if you were to have like a a 23, 24 year old coming to your office and they're just kind of having this uh, this negative spin when it comes to retirement. What What are some of those conversations that you have with them to kind of, I guess, change their mindset about retirement a little bit?
1: So that raises one of those other areas that I'm also super passionate about. Okay. Partly because I still remember when I was first out of school, it's almost like every company is trying to shove down an early 20s year old person, how important it is to save into a 401k plan or another type of retirement plan. But no one's talking really about, well, what do you want to do in like three years? What's important to you right now? What happens if you decide that you want to stay home with your kids for a year and there's no income? Those are the things that also need serious planning. So a focus that I think all of us need to have is yes, that the big long-term picture is really important. There is a power with compounding interest in terms of growth. What's also really important is to look at how do I want to live my life? What's important to me? And redefining what financial independence is. Financial independence, in my opinion, is not retirement. If in retirement, that person is dependent on living a life that is not really how they had desired to live or if all those years and decades leading up to the time that they stopped working were not really bringing them joy. That's not financial independence because they were dependent on really not living. So it's really striking the need for making sure that an individual can support themselves. Got you live the life that they want and also be able to plan for that life years down the road so someone in their early 20s the big picture first and foremost is really to invest in themselves yes yeah, saving is very important but it's really about building up that liquidity and focusing on who are they what do they want to do because if we can really tune into that then how we plan from a financial perspective The alignment happens way earlier.
0: All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. Check it out, Startup Nation. I know many of you are trying to improve your marketing performance, right? You have your business or your e-commerce store, and you're trying to increase that brand awareness. No worries. I got you. You should listen to the brand new Keep Optimizing podcast. That's optimizing with an S and not a Z. It's a marketing podcast that will provide you with not only the latest tips and advice in the game, but also you will hear from experts in their field when it comes to email marketing, SEO, and more. This is a must-listen-to podcast for my e-commerce entrepreneurs. It's hosted by Chloe Thomas, who is a 15-year marketing expert, best-selling author, and award-winning podcast host. It's already a top 20 marketing podcast in seven countries, so clearly you're going to get amazing value every episode. So as you can see, Stop Nation, you're in good hands with my girl, CT. So listen and subscribe to the Keep Optimizing podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you like to get your favorite podcast. You can also get more information at keepoptimizing.com. The link is there in the show notes. Oralex powers this episode of the startup life startup nation as a podcaster radio host and business owner i know a thing or two about the need for your message to come through clearly to your target audience the last thing you want when trying to close a big deal over the phone or giving a sales presentation in your conference room is to have the person you are talking to be distracted by either the fact that you sound like you're in a warehouse or an outside noise like a fire truck trust me startup nation I know this all too well from experience. And that is why Auralex has your back. Auralex Acoustics creates professionally tested products that you can trust in a commercial space or at home. Better office acoustics improves intelligibility when video conferencing or generic conversation reduces stress and helps build a proactive work atmosphere. From a home studio for my content creators to your office space downtown, your gear performs better in an acoustically treated room. Trust me, you are in good hands with Auralex as they are the number one brand in acoustics, providing trusted solutions for over 40 years. Also, you can download the Auralex Acoustic Treatment mobile app in the Apple or Google Play Store to give you specifically designed and instantaneous recommendations for various room types. Go to Oralex.com and use the promo code STARTUP in all caps for 10% off your entire order. The link is there in the show notes if you are listening to the replay on the podcast. So if you are ready to stop sounding like you're having a sales meeting in the sports arena, go with Oralex. Professional audio made simple. Tresta powers this episode of The Startup Life. and it's all unlimited calling texting and all of the powerful call management features like auto attendance call recording user groups and more for just 15 dollars per user per month with tresta there's no contract and you don't need any special hardware just your smartphone you're already using tresta is easy to configure so you can set everything up yourself all online avoiding all the hassle and high overhead costs of setting up a traditional business phone system. Which is important because as entrepreneurs, we are always trying to cut cost and time. They're often a 30-day free trial so you can see if Tresta's virtual phone system is right for you. Communicate smarter and more efficiently with Tresta. Start now at Tresta.com forward slash Startup Life. That's T-R-E-S-T-A.com forward slash Startup Life. The link is there in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. Tresta, business communication simplified. Alright, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on the Startup Life. Catherine, if you would please, ma'am, tell us all about concentric private wealth and the we- and the work you do there.
1: So Concentric is a comprehensive wealth management firm. Our focus is in behavioral advice. At the end of the day, what we're doing is transforming the way people think and act about money while also putting strategies in place so that they can embrace financial independence today, as well as down the road when they may no longer be actually earning money.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And so, I, I know you provide many services and things of that nature, but I'm curious about your behavioral advice services that you provide. Kind of share with us a little bit about that, if you would.
1: Sure. So, I would say an easier way to explain behavioral advice, sure, is first and foremost helping people understand the why, helping people understand why are they doing what they're doing, what's important to them, and then aligning, planning and their decisions moving forward with actually what's important to them. Now, for some people, that means that there's going to be some really massive shifts in their life over time. Maybe a career change. They might be changing neighborhoods. It might be who they're interacting with. It could be massive for some people. For other people, it could be little tweaks. But all those changes are really about, again, connecting with who that person is and what's important to them Mm -hmm. and living their life and not what everyone else is telling them that they should be doing.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Now, when it comes to a concentric private wealth, I I know you recently spoke to an audience about the importance of transparency when it comes to pricing your services. Why Why was that important for you to give that talk?
1: Well, in 2008, during the financial crisis, Right a lot of people were impacted. So many people were impacted. And here we are more than 10 years after the financial crisis. And while there have been some changes in the financial services space, I would suggest that we haven't really changed that much. Mm. Things might be called different names and maybe some risks are not present, but other risks are now present. But from a planning perspective, there really hasn't been that significant of a change. So when a consumer is going to work with, let's just say a financial advisor, one, there still is not regulation on who can call themselves a financial advisor. There's not a board requirement. There's not a standard as far as each advisor has this particular license or this particular designation. So it's really complicated for a consumer to figure out who should I be getting advice from what's the type of advice that I should be expecting to receive and how is that going to be given to me? And also what should I be paying right now? The industry is pretty much focused on an assets under management model. So the amount that someone has is often tied to how much they're going to be paying. There's also plenty of advisors who are still working on a commission type of model. And so at the end of the day, each experience for each individual is not going to necessarily have an alignment. It's kind of like the Wild Wild West when it comes to pricing and how people work. Gosh. We believe that it's incredibly important that there's transparency around what someone's going to be paying for the work that they're going to be receiving, what that engagement's going to look like, and aligning that with scope of work and the value that's being delivered as opposed to, well, your fees are going to be higher this year because the market's up by 20%, or you pay several thousand dollars more in fees because your accounts are more than another person, even though the other person might have more work, or that one person and another person who might have the same exact level of assets, but yet one person has higher need for engagement. So as a firm, we are hopefully helping lead the industry in doing is to say financial planning is important. And for financial advisors who are actually engaged in financial planning, that we should step forward and put a value on our work. At the same time, we should also show and lead in that from an investment space, the investment pricing often has nothing to do with the planning piece in terms of how much money someone has. And so for us as a firm, while we've aligned our pricing for planning with the complexity and the scope of work that we're focused on, we've also decreased our investment pricing because we know that technology has created so many efficiencies for us in the last 20 years, but especially in the last 5 to 10.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. A quick Follow up, because you were talking about technology uh, and is kind of become officially known as FinTech when you talk about financial planning and financial uh, technology and things of that nature. How has it changed the industry? I know you said, you know, it really has uh, uh, changed in the last five years. But what are some of those changes you've been seeing when it comes to FinTech and technology entering to the financial space like that?
1: In so many ways. I mean, a way that I use on a regular basis is Mm -hmm. when we create model portfolios, for example, for our clients. So as a firm, we actually create our portfolios. And when we go to rebalance portfolios, we're able to do that literally in a matter of seconds. Whereas when I started in the industry back in 2001, that type of advancement was not actually in place. So Trades being done were happening at a manual level and then model portfolios were created and slowly we began to see some efficiencies. But now when we're creating models and we have clients within certain bands of investments in a particular model or aligned with a risk tolerance, we can literally have that alignment done in a very short period of time. Now, as a firm, we still look at our clients' accounts individually because everyone's got a of different course. thing going on. Of but we do have model portfolios. That, that is what allows us to have a deep expertise in terms of what we're recommending. And it also benefits the clients as we're independent, so we don't have conflicts of interest in terms of commissions or having a company pay us more than another company or anything like that. So that's a really key thing. But yet pricing hasn't caught up with that. Another piece is with account aggregation. So with our firm, our clients can aggregate all of their assets together in one client portal. Now, that's not necessarily going to include or that will include all of the accounts that we're not even managing. So having that bird's eye view of everything going on is really key. That wasn't in place 20 years ago. So, that's really key and allowing the client to have that very complete, comprehensive experience. Analysis, in terms of how we can analyze specific investments, whether they're an individual security or whether they're an exchange traded fund, there's so much more information and ease to getting that information than there was in the last 10 years. So, those are all wonderful things, and that's enhanced the portfolio experience. But again, pricing hasn't caught up with that. There's the talk of fee, fees going down over time, but that isn't something that has drastically happened from an advisory perspective. It's, it's happened a little bit, but not where they in our opinion, is very much aligned with the client experience of it.
0: Gotcha. You. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Catherine, you were speaking earlier about, you know, a decade ago, the economic downturn, 2008, 2009, things of that nature. And now we're starting to hear fears of a possible, you know, that uh, happening again, here late 2019, 2020. So if, if you're a business owner, or you're uh, uh, a single mom of three, or just whoever, you know, what are some of those Things they should be mindful of when it comes to uh, a possible uh, economic downturn or recession or things of that nature from a financial standpoint?
1: Well, this is advice, you know, I won't comment on when a potential downturn will happen. We know that we've had a pretty robust market and economy, and there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Right. But what I will say, it's always important to have your foundation in good order, as well as if you're a business owner, your book's in good order. So this is true at all times, but especially when we potentially are going to any periods of transition or volatility, which would also speak to a change in economy or market. So making sure that you are looking at what the expenses are that you've got going on and that you are streamlining what the firm actually needs and cutting out what is actually not benefiting the firm or whatever the space is that you're in. It's also important that you have the team in place that's going to be able to support you through that transition, whether it's financial members of your team, whether it's people who know how to bring in business during changing times, also taking a look at what your standard operating procedures are so that if there's something that does happen, that you know how you you are reaching out to your client base to ensure that people still have the trust instilled in you because you're taking the appropriate actions. So it really, like I was saying earlier, always comes back to the foundation, but really making sure that key things such as how expenses are going on, what is the liquidity needs of the firm today, as well as in the event that revenue were to go down by 30 or 40%. Where is that going to come from? And what is your plan in the event that that does happen? Are you having to lay off team members? Are you having a personal impact? Are you covering that? Do you have a line of credit in place? These are all the things to make sure that you're crossing T's and dotting I's on.
0: For sure, for sure. Thank you so much for that valued uh, added content. Because the thing is, like a a lot of uh, my audience in Startup Nation have been asking me, like, Dominic, you know, this is something we're concerned about. You know they've heard in the news and things of that nature. So I appreciate you sharing all of that, Catherine, for sure. And Startup Nation, you know, if, if you're uh, thinking about you know your financial future and planning, make sure you uh, connect with Catherine. We have a link in the show notes to ConcentricPrivateWealth.com. Uh, They're in the show notes. And also, if you want to see her um, uh, her amazing videos and see her amazing content, uh, there's blog posts on the website. There's a YouTube uh, channel that she has as well. And she also has uh, a a number of content on her Facebook page as well. And all of those links are there in the show notes uh, for easy access. Just wanted to make sure I get that in there, Catherine, for sure.
1: Thanks, Dominic.
0: No worries. So if you would, Catherine, tell me about David and how supportive uh, he's been uh, on your journey to uh, entrepreneurship.
1: Wow, that is a question that I don't always get asked, but a very, very important one. He has been a rock in a lot of ways for me. As entrepreneurs, I think we can sometimes celebrate how we are able to come up with those big ideas and take that foot forward into uncharted territories and that gets celebrated. And often the wins that we receive are because of those risks that we take on. For sure. But we sometimes don't celebrate the people as much as we should who have been able to be the certainty that we need in our life, whether it be in terms of making sure that you have that sounding board to listen to your big ideas or to be able to pick up the kids during a crazy day or right. making sure that the bills get paid when you decide to take on a really big financial risk. Absolutely. And that's a really, one of the big ways that Dave has supported me in my step forward into being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. One thing that's been really helpful, especially for us, is because we actually both started in the world of financial services. Got you. And so he understood at the beginning that the hours associated with building, with creating, were not nine to five. And they weren't Catherine Loyola. And that is something that is really hard for a lot of people to understand. Because if you're building something, the space that you need for creation and to think outside of the box and all that kind of stuff, that's something that you really need to honor and often is just an extension of who you are. For me, at least, there isn't this, my work life and my family life, there's a lot of crossover. Now, I, I do try to make sure that there are safe places where it's just work and where it's just family. But for me as a person, when I define to others who I am, it's not that I'm just a mom or just a spouse or just a business owner. And I say just, even though I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that word in general, because sometimes we really limit how we define ourselves to other people. And sometimes even to ourselves so me, Catherine Lyola, is, yes, a mom, a spouse, a friend, a business owner, a visionary. I'm all those things together. And I'm not someone who like turns the switch on and off multiple times a day. I wake up, the switch is on, And then I go to bed and the switch is off. And for the partners that we have in our life, for all of you, Startup Nation, whomever that partner is for you, whether it's a business partner, a person in a relationship, a family member, for someone to get you is really key. Now, that doesn't mean that every conversation has always been perfect. We still have our ups and downs in terms of communication. That's human. But it's something that he's been able to get me and has supported me being me. And that is just, that's massive.
0: I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that for sure. Uh, and like I said, it was one of those questions I wanted to ask, because like you said, you know, uh, nobody builds a business technically by themselves. Right. You know, you have that system and stuff like that. So I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Catherine, you actually uh, posted. I, I did a little social media stalking, as I always do. It sounds
1: like it. I like your due diligence.
0: Appreciate it. Uh, so I, I was looking mm. on your Facebook page and you posted um, a picture of somebody we both admire, which is Allison Felix. Yes uh, and I know that you're a runner as well, so I what am. about Allison Phoenix, Felix uh, that inspires you
1: oh man damn she is she is just an inspiration, so mm-hmm. I'm not sure if everyone in startup nation is aware of her story, but I'll try to make a long story short. her contract with Nike was coming up and She, in her contract negotiations, was wanting to have I don't know if clause would be the right word, but she wanted to have some verbiage in her contract that would essentially still support her if and when she were to get pregnant and have a baby. Because, unfortunately, what the case is for a lot of professional athletes is that they are expected to continue to perform at the same exact level while they're pregnant and after they give birth, which I don't know how many of you in Startup Nation have been a mom, or at least I've been around a mom, there's body changes that happen. (laughs) So like, if you're a runner, you're not going to be running as fast when you're nine months pregnant or in the first few weeks after you deliver a baby. And there's just so many hormonal changes and things that your body's got to go through. But as someone who is an athlete, I did a half uh, Ironman in the year and the months following the birth of my first daughter. I also can appreciate that the body does heal. The body does go back and the body can still be extremely strong and you can perform at an even higher level. And that's all Allison Felix was looking for from Nike, especially because at the point that her contract was coming to an end, she had already excelled and had been a very, very decorated athlete. So at the end of the day, Nike wasn't budging on this. She ended up finally having a contract picked up through Athleta. And just in the last few weeks, she ended up becoming even more decorated. And that is at the same time after having had a child less than 10 months ago. So I just celebrate her, not just because of the fact that she is becoming even more decorated after having a baby, although that's a massive feat in itself. But what she did was she stood up for professional athletes who are choosing to be a mom. And I think that that is also a trickle-down effect to people who are professionals. So for any of the listeners for Startup Nation, I think it's really important, granted I have a strong passion and bias around this, but it's super important that if you want to build your companies, if you want to scale, if you want to do right by the people that you are trying to serve, that you also need to consider how you are serving your team members whether it is through pregnancy or whether it's through life events that they're experiencing, a death in the family, a parent getting sick, a child, whatever that case is, and recognizing that sometimes we all are going to have a few steps back in terms of our performance, if you will, in terms of black and white performance, but that our contributions can't just be measured in a very small, finite amount of time.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Really quickly, Catherine, what's your entrepreneurial superpower and why?
1: What's my entrepreneurial superpower? Mm -hmm. I would say that I bring high energetic spirit of positivity to almost any situation. And I have this ability to see puzzle pieces, big virtual puzzle pieces all coming together when most people cannot figure out how to navigate forward. And so when I am put in a situation where there is a need or an opportunity, I can see that path through the trees, even in the face of adversity.
0: I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. And before I ask the last question, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the startup life podcast powered by the binge podcast network. You gave amazing value from uh, uh, financial planning to uh, you know, even uh, providing an alternative mindset when it comes to student loans. So I appreciate all the value you gave to Startup Nation today. So I'm um, actually for this last question. I'm going to turn the microphone over to you because there's an entrepreneur out there that's feeling a little stuck. They're either afraid to start their business or they're 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 stuck in their business. And they're afraid to move forward. Give them some words of motivation, Catherine, today to tell them to keep moving forward.
1: Cool. Well, first and foremost, Dominic, thank you so much for having me on. I love the energy that you have, and I love that I was having the opportunity to be part of Startup Nation. For all the entrepreneurs out there that might be struggling, and let's be real, if we're an entrepreneur, we're all going to struggle at some point or another. So know that we have a kindred spirit together and that hopefully we're all holding each other up to be able to get through those challenging points. The big, big piece is to take a step forward one small step. We're not talking about a leap. We're not talking about a jump. We're not even talking about a big step. We're just talking about taking that one step forward and then another step and then another step and then another step. But before you take that step forward, what's super key is that you listen to that fire inside of you so that you can actually take a step towards that fire. Now, if you can't hear anything, if you're like, I want to be an entrepreneur, or I already am an entrepreneur and I just don't know what to do, then it might mean that you need to invest a little bit more in yourself. You might need to try out different interests, different platforms for wh- how your business should be positioned. So there might be a little bit of fun and exploration that you need to do first, but that in itself is a step forward. Take that step forward to really dig a little deeper to see the path that you're going to go forward. And sooner or later, The universe is going to start presenting opportunities because you're listening to who you are.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Did you enjoy being on the show, Captain?
1: Loved it. Loved being part of all you guys, Startup Nation. Awesome stuff.
0: All right, Startup Nation. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play,